What if you knew there was something that could supercharge your young child's development, that would help your young child develop emotionally, intellectually, and creatively? I'm guessing you'd jump at the chance, and I'm guessing you've already been doing that. Stay tuned for this On Boys episode and find out what you've been doing right. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash on boys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys, And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. One of the things I love about recording on Boys with you, Janet, is that I get a little bit of one-on-one time with you every time we record, before the episode, after the episode. And so I get to tell you my problems with my boys, and I get your support coming directly back at me. I want our listeners to have that kind of access to you too. Aw. How can our listeners get one-on-one support from you, Janet? I am a family coach, and that is one of the things I love most, is supporting parents directly. If I am struggling with my son at home, and I want to work with you, but I mean, come on, I've got a lot of things to do and a lot of things to spend my time and money on, and I'm just not sure I'm ready to book a session with you. Is there a way I can kind of try this out and see if this is a good option and potentially helpful or not for my family? I always want to know it's a good fit. And so I encourage you to schedule a breakthrough session with me. This is completely complimentary. We get on the phone, we talk about where you are, what's going on, where you want to go and how to get there. It might be me. I couldn't help you get there. It might not. And that's where we find out if we're a good fit, if there's work to do together, if I can support you in creating the family that you desire and deserve. Book a session with me at boysalive.com slash call. I look forward to connecting with you, learning more about you and supporting you. Again, that's boysalive.com slash call for your free breakthrough session with me. What if you knew there was something that could supercharge your young child's development, that would help your young child develop emotionally, intellectually, and creatively? I'm guessing you'd jump at the chance, and I'm guessing you've already been doing that. If you have a young child and you've ever played patty cake or responded when your baby or toddler made funny sounds and you repeated them back, and if you've ever launched into song and silly dance parties in the kitchen, then you're already harnessing this power. And this is the power of music. Our guest today is a Juilliard School trained musician, and in 1986, she opened a conservatory in Paris for early childhood music education. 
putting together what she has taught and learned from the children over the years and combining that with the advances in neuroscience, Joan Koenig has written about the critical years when children are most sensitive to musical exposure and most receptive to its benefits in her new book entitled The Musical Child, Using the Power of Music to Raise Children Who Are Happy, Healthy, and Whole. Welcome from the south of France. Welcome. So wonderful to have you here. Thank you, Jennifer and Janet. I think it's really important work you're, you're doing, and I, and I love it that you're coming to it from uh, different backgrounds, but uh, with empirical experience, you've got boys. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Jen's <laughs> <Yet> got boys. <laughs> well, so music, seem, music seems to be the full meal deal. You wrote in your book that music helps develop vital physical coordination. It fine tunes our speech and hearing. It reinforces memory. It builds a practice of creative thinking. And then add to that the pleasure that music brings to all ages. And it seems that maybe we aren't using music enough in our parenting and in our schools. I would agree. And actually, I think that it's um, there, there's a, a very funny thing that um, that has happened. I'm going to say this, uh, uh, and I do not want to appear to be slamming classical music, but I'm, I'm completely classically trained. But I did a lot of other things alongside um, beginning when I was very young. But um, I'm observing something, and I'm certainly not the only one, which is that um, classical music in developed societies has become the gold standard for musical education. In becoming so, uh, it is also becoming quite elitist. I, I've seen teachers and so many parents who do not feel qualified to make music with their children unless they had, you know, the sacrosanct um, classical music education. Yeah. Uh, and this this inhibition is not shared in a lot of other cultures in the world where there's a, a stronger amateur musical practice. And the other thing that's funny about classical music is that um, for about the last 150 years, a couple of the elements of classical music have disappeared. One of them was is improvisation. Improvisation ceased mm. uh, to be taught and practiced in classical music. Um, the last improvis improvisation class was in a, in, a, in a Hochschule in Germany in 1904. So then that was it for improvisation. We do not dance to classical music, except in ballet. Um, mm. So you have this, you have this music which in most of the world is something that brings people together. It makes them dance, it makes them sing, it makes them uh, invent new things. Um, it's a very participative thing, participative thing, has become quite the, um, the, uh, the, you've got to be nice and sit in your concert hall with your hands crossed and God forbid your child should make a peep. Um, so mm -hmm. it's actually, um, it's not suitable for the early childhood education. Music needs to be physical, it needs to be danced, it needs to be uh, participative. So you have this strange thing, which is that we, in the Western world, we seem to only think that we can educate children in classical music, but we're not actually training their ears and their sense of rhythm at the time in their development when the ear can be the most wonderfully trained. The anecdote I like to use is that um, you would never dream of never saying a word to your child all week and then taking them to their weekly language course. Um, mm -hmm. So in, in music is the same thing. It's the, uh, uh, we have the same window for development. Incredible musicality um, is, develops at about the same time that language does. So it's before the age of six. And uh, we, we see it every day. I mean, perfect pitch, or I would say excellent pitch is supposed to be only one person in 10,000. So I don't get it why we have an entire classroom of kids. And when you come in, you play, they sing sol, soleil. So it's, it's just because we've been working with them on it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so interesting to me. I come to your book. We all bring our own background to whatever we read, whatever we watch. And I think that's interesting in and of itself. I come to your book with um, seven and a half years experience homeschooling my kids. We opted out of the school school system and part of it ended up being because 
It seems so developmentally inappropriate. Um, you talk in your book with music, it is a very physical, emotional, visceral, all of those things at once. Children learn music best, according to your book and your experience, by being part of it, by moving with it, by discovering it, which, I mean, Janet, you've worked with little kids your entire career too. That is how little kids learn. Mm -hmm. They learn by doing, they don't learn, like you said, Joan, like just putting on a recording of Mozart that's really not going to do anything to advance your child. And it doesn't even have to be about advancing your child. We're talking about developing as humans. Well, and I think too, I love what you said, Joan, about participatory and that we maybe when we were kids, a little bit of that uh, spontaneousness improvisation was kind of trained out of us because you know you had your piano lessons and then you went to choir and then you turned on the radio and maybe you danced but maybe you didn't because you're a little shy so you didn't dance and and having kids then is that opportunity then to be silly as young children but then I think we also get into a place elementary middle school that it becomes then as you said you know Saturday music class or you you know practice your band instrument and it's it's separated out and and I'm thinking of these other cultures that you're talking about where it is a constant it's always around and you're always you know, move into the beat and you don't worry about, oh, I can't sing on pitch or, oh, I have a terrible voice, you know, that just doesn't even enter the equation. So absolutely. And the, um, you've, you've, you've both had children. Um, a child is only engaged when they are participating. Um, right. So, and they do, I, I, I think one of the first things that got me very curious about understanding the brain was when I saw um, an 18 month old little girl really doing this kind of booty dance at a concert when a little, another child was playing a, a jazz tune. And I thought, what's happening? Why is she having this spot on? She's interpreting the music. She's choreographing what she's hearing and she's spot on. And at first I thought her parents must listen to a lot of jazz. So I went to them afterwards and they were very embarrassed. I think they probably don't ever listen to music at all. Um, <laughs> but so I became fascinated with um, what is this, what's happening in this baby's brain that's making her translate instantly music uh, uh, into what it, she, she's illustrating the music with her body. Yeah. And it was just amazing. It's, you know, amusia or the inability to um, hear music is one in 10,000 people. So it's very few. So and we hear so many times people saying, you know, I'm afraid I don't sing on tune. I don't have a good sense of rhythm. Well, no wonder, because probably you never sang as a child or somebody told you that you didn't sing on pitch, which might have been something as silly as the fact that the song was too high or too low for you. Um, yeah, right. Instead, the person had said, oh, goodness. OK, this song's too high for you. I'm going to transpose it down and see what happens there. So you would get away from this, this notion of it's right or wrong. But again, this all stems from the idea that music is an elite thing, only available to the happy few um, and the uber talented. So I just, I'm kind of railing against this, the, the fact that we have this situation which is becoming extremely exclusive. So teachers aren't feeling empowered, parents aren't feeling empowered, and they're missing this incredible window in which um, Janet, as you began at the, the, the beginning, you were talking about this supercharging you can do with your child. At this point, we have um, so many serious neuroscientific studies that are pointing to the immense number of things that, that music helps children with, notably focus, attention, intuition, all these things that are considered actually even more important than IQ. Mm -hmm. So I feel like one of the reasons that we're not doing it enough is, first of all, because it's not new. You know, we like new things. Yes, that is a very human tendency, especially <laughs> in a technologically driven society. And frankly, if it's available to everybody, Joan, we can't make a lot of money off of it. So, but you know, that's uh, obviously not the point. Uh, mm -hmm. I think we all agree that. Um, at this point, it's 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 kind of like climate change. Do you want to make money out of it or do you want to save people? And exactly. 
given yes. the given the level of um, you know children with ADHD problems, um, focusing um, in this sort of zap generation of their, you know, their parents, they see their parents on smartphones all the time. It has its consequences. We, we see a, a huge increase in, in attention problems in school, mm -hmm. girls and boys combined. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, Janet, you know that I am all about like easy. I have four kids, anything that can like hit multiple things at once is way better than one at a time interventions because I don't have time for all of that. So when I read your book and you were pointing out, you know, music, it helps us develop physically it, through moving to music and being part of music. We're developing the vestibular system, which is part of our ear, which I had just learned a week previous to reading your book is so important for being able to focus on the written word and reading and developing empathy, focus, listening. So by doing something that's kind of silly, fun, and enjoyable with my kid, I can actually be helping all these other things. Yes, please. Especially right now, because, you know, less than 30% of the world's children have been in school for the last year and a half. Yeah. So I feel like we, we need, we need something to go to in school and at home that's going to bring the children together when they come back to school. Um, and get them listening to one another and learning to wait their turn in a musical construction. But for this to happen, we need to empower the teachers and parents. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We do not have to have gone to Juilliard or any music school in the world. Um, I always say, if you have a favorite song, it means you love music. And if you have a favorite song and you like to sing it, you can make music with your child. Yeah. And we talk so much too about social emotional learning. And I, I love what you said in your book about just this, this place of learning to wait your turn, but also having that social engagement when more than one person's playing an instrument. So you have to listen and the instrument can be a spoon on a saucepan, right? It's, you know, it doesn't have to be an instrument. It's that place that, I mean, I have parents, I'm a family coach and I have a family right now whose their children are constantly interrupting them. And I know many of our listeners can relate to that situation when your child comes to you and it's mommy, 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 and interrupt, interrupt. And it's like, wait, music takes care of that. You know, you have that built into music because your book is super organized and really talks about these first five years of a child's life and how they are just primed and ready to go for all of this learning. And I know that many of our listeners have kids over age five and six. So then it's like, uh oh, did I miss the boat? How can I, you know, so I want you to speak to that also so that those important developmental steps up to age six. And then, uh-oh, what do we do after that to amplify and bring in this musical education that's so powerful? I do want to address the, the question. Um, the, there is a specific thing that I think I see happening when you start very in very early childhood. But um, I can name in a split second, uh, 10 amazing musicians that I know, including amazing improvisers who did not start before the age of seven. So it's, it's not, it's never a closed book. It's just that um, I, my, my sense is that having researched how the, the early childhood mind develops um, uh, during these first six years, I do think that um, children will we're just stacking the deck on their side mm -hmm. uh, for literacy, for um, uh, emotional um, control, empathy. Um, we're stacking the deck by having them practice music as much as possible. And it really is magic because one of the fun things we do is we say everything in music. So uh, um, come into the circle is in a circle, in a circle, in a circle right now. And if you, if you start, if a teacher starts saying, come on kids, it's time to go in the circle. It's time, come on, please. Getting louder and louder. And what happens is as soon as you hear, all the kids go scrambling into the circle. It they almost feels, they're just, music engages more than words. Maybe it's because it's exception, more exceptional for the children. Live music engages. In the case of that family whose children are interrupting, what happens when children are making music together is they begin, they like the sound of the piece they're making. So if their job in the piece is to play this, on a xylophone, um, 
they're watching what's going on, but they're not going to leave their do sol on the xylophone because it's sounding so good. Uh, and they, they get very excited about how this is sounding, how this is working. Together. Janet, I just had an amazing thought and memory. Joan, I wrote this blog post a while ago and it was how to deal with a troublemaker. You guys know I'm going to put the link in the show notes. But Janet, we've been doing this podcast for a long time. And you know that my youngest son, Sam, he's now 15. He is not what you would think of as a musical kid in that, like, that's not his thing. He's 15. His thing at this point is mowing lawns, dirt bikes, and motors. That's his thing. And when he was a kid in school, he uh, hated music class and he got in trouble in music class all the time, right? But he was bored. It, that, exactly because he was bored but this one time the teacher gave him the very important job in a piece and I don't even remember what the piece was but it was it was the xylophone and he had to do a certain thing at a certain time and I went to that concert and he took it so seriously because for one he had a job and he was entrusted with it. And the other thing that I think sometimes happens in our schools, especially, it's the good kids that get picked out to do the things like that. It's the ones who listen. It's the ones who are not causing trouble. Whereas this teacher took some of the troublemakers, quote unquote, <laughs> gave them a job, engaged them. By definition, they had to listen because he didn't want to not play it at the right time. So mm -hmm. he had to listen Focus. Absolutely. I've never seen, I've seen him focus since, but in a music situation, I had never seen him as focused as he was. And he did beautifully. And he took it so seriously that even after the concert, like he noticed, oh, I, I hit the, I don't remember a, when I should have hit the D at one point, he cared. Mm, yeah, yeah. This episode is sponsored by, by heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only US-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code onboys at byheart.com. That's B-Y, H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. Byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm -hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. 
Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A.com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. It's rare to find a child who doesn't care, but if you're having um, music classes that that bore the children because they're just listening to something or whatever, mm-hmm. um, that's not how you're going to bring them in. And it's um, it really it really is kind of magical, and it's um, it, it's so this is also logical, ladies, because if you think about it, what are the most musical companies all over the world are most important rituals, you know, weddings, funerals, and we're emotionally involved in this. Uh, and very few people are immune to this kind of emotional involvement. So why would children whose, you know, executive functioning is going to be developed much later on in life, you know, the ability to, to judge and to organize and plan, uh, their little emotional systems are born full on. So you have this tool, music, which engages us emotionally, um, and that children respond to. One of the things that I love to see, uh, I only put one of them in the book, but, um, and this is interesting because it has, it's not at all gender specific. Um, boys and girls reacting um, to music with emotion or they'll attribute emotional balance to it. They'll say that makes me feel happy or that's sad music. You know, I a little troublemaker boy, um, he, he had a number of things that were, you know, challenging for, for him, mostly for his parents and for the school as well. But he came up with the most amazing thing one day. I was playing this scale and he said, uh, it's called Dorian, a Dorian scale. It's a Greek mode. Um, but he said, it's a dinosaur. And I said, why, Sam? He said, because dinosaurs are extinct and that's sad. And that's a sad scale. Oh. You know, and he's four years old and he's got X number of challenges in life, but boy, he nailed it. And that's so, a lot of things coming together in the brain. I mean, think of all that knowledge that, 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 that sound him perceiving that sound was able to put together. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, um, it, because it does, music has this superpower either. Otherwise it wouldn't exist in every single society. So the question today is, uh, why aren't we using it more in schools? Uh, or why aren't maybe coming back to it? I mean, I, I played in a, in a band when I was in grade school. And, you know, it was one of those, I, I grew up in a tiny town outside of Seattle. And uh, it, it was a little band. And I think the band instructor, I started on the flute. Uh, I think he probably played the flute about as well as I did after a year, but that didn't matter. He had enough basic, basics to introduce all the children to an instrument and get us to play together. I think that those kind of music programs, especially in public schools right now, are pretty far and few and far between. Yeah. You know, reading reading your book, it struck me because it made me remember all the ways in which I did as a mother almost instinctively use music. So at one point mm-hmm. you're writing about, you know, the the crying, fussing infant and the noises that, that we make. And Janet, I know you do this too. You you pick up the baby and you know you rocking back and forth and you're making this kind of melodic sound and you wrote it somehow in the book and I read it in my head exactly the way you ended up notating it later on in musical notes it's this downward pitch yeah somehow we know this as a species Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. parents you end up singing or talking to your kid when they're strapped in the back seat because you can't physically get to them because they're back there and you're trying to drive so on some level, most of us are doing this. And I mean, the, the kitchen pots and pans thing, I'm sure you did that with your girls, Janet. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I, I want to just plug this into because I think it gives the arc of how important the 
early childhood music is and you talk about nursery rhymes and all these you know just yeah. these rhythm rhythms and the the uh sweet little lullabies that we sing to our children when they're when they're young my mom had a stroke when she was about 86 and she had speech aphasia so she couldn't talk and we would sing to her. I would sing Amazing Grace. I would sing You Are My Sunshine. I would, you know, say nursery rhymes. And those were in there. Still there. She could not, you know, could not enunciate clearly, but she knew the tune and she mm. could, could kind of bring the tune out. And it just made me so aware of parents of young children you and and it wasn't music that was on the radio this was music that her mom and dad had sung to her and you know or maybe they heard it at church or whatever but it was participatory it was alive it was she was in it and that at the end of her life that gave her so much pleasure to be able to sing I use air quotes but you know to be able to sing along with me on simple songs that she even after had other ones even mm -hmm. after she lost her speech so you talk about mm -hmm. how, how music gets in stored in the long in long-term memory I think is what you and and there it is the long-term memory isn't it amazing to think that it's um babies prefer song to speech so we can say that music is in their, their, and their first speech, you know, when they're beginning to babble, it's always amazing. You're in another room and you hear them going, and then, and then, it's very musical. Absolutely. So you, so it's music is their preferred, they, they will turn their head to their mother singing if they're listening to a recording for a longer duration and um, more quickly than if the mother's just speaking. So children, babies, uh, newborns, um, react to music and is it isn't it amazing to think that it's also the last thing that goes you yeah. know all of those studies with Oliver Sacks proving what you just explained with your mother mm -hmm. it really is the last thing to go so um the the other question I have for um you know just the entire educational systems which um hopefully you know Dr. Biden and her husband are going to you know, they're, they're doing, looks like they're trying to do something here, but I have a really big, huge little secret to tell them. Can you have a big, huge secret? <laughs> <laughs> a huge secret, maybe, uh, which is that, you know, if you include music in the curriculum, you can teach all the things that children need to memorize, like um, uh, times tables, counting, times tables, counting, alphabet songs, everything, everything that you need to memorize. If you set it to music, the children learn it faster. And the duration of the memory is um, is multiplied. So, mm -hmm. you know, this is when we're coming out. If if you know, the America is so worried about the uh, failing literacy in public schools. You know, come on, ladies and gentlemen, we have a tool here. You know, I'm not yes. inventing. This yeah. is already been documented in science. Yeah, let's you know, let's do it. I found myself thinking today before we started recording you have some great stories in your book about how you start with very, very young children and you're playing these interactive musical games and it's, it's verbal and it's singing and it's dancing. And then you move towards uh, the music in their fingers. And basically they are learning how to use their fingers to play, you know, notes and create sounds on the piano. And you talk about how you know, children, they experiment. We all know that's what they do. And if there is a keyboard, a xylophone, a piano, they will experiment. And I thought about this. I'm like, well, I've had a piano in my house pretty much the whole my children's childhood, but that didn't happen. And then I realized why I wasn't spending time at the piano. Mm -hmm. I was so busy doing all of the other things that you tend to think are important. I took myself out of that equation. Most kids are not going to like just find and discover something on their own unless they first see an adult, somebody they care about doing yeah, that thing. There has, to be but, sent, there has to be an entry portal. Yes. Mm -hmm. But when they do have it, you, you'll see. I mean, it's we have a lot of parents talking about that. And once again, you have to get a you have to get past the um, 
this that you can't do it idea. I mean, my kid does not care if I haven't played I piano. I don't play piano, so I can't play the piano with my yeah. child. I'm saying, well, he doesn't play the piano either. So yes, you can. And as an adult, you can do what I just asked you to do, which is play uh, two notes together um, repeatedly. And that's yeah. all the harmonic bass. If you just keep doing this, your child can be doing. I don't know. Sounds pretty good to me. It's the beginning. Right? Right. You know, and that'll turn into. Pretty soon, you know, to me, it's an example of how we sometimes make parenting harder and more unpleasant than it has to be. Frankly, I would have liked to have spent more time sitting at the piano, but there's all these things I think I have to do. If I had read your book 15 years ago and like, wait, so I can be a good mom while playing around <laughs> on the piano. <laughs> awesome. I know. Can I tell you, ladies, something? Um, I, I think maybe I was quite fortunate to be have raised my children in France where the word parenting didn't exist. People just went about raising children a little bit like their own parents had done as best they could. But I think that there was, I definitely felt that I wasn't experiencing any social pressure about being the super parent. My thing was that I... I thought it would be good for my kids if we enjoyed being with each other uh, mm -hmm. and we had fun together. That uh, is the key. Absolutely. And it's the key for later, much later on, because if your children love being with you uh, when they're adolescents and they realize that you've just looked at them and said, hmm, uh, actually I need to be alone right now. If your child loves having fun with you, that is all you need. That child kind of looks at you and says, oh, I've just lost all my fun. Um, so I think it's a strong, it's a very powerful thing. I don't mean to be giving non-musical advice, but I, in this case, I feel like I'd like to share my experience of growing up in France where there was much less pressure on mm. being the parent, mm -hmm. much less. Yeah. And your son, you said is grown and he is a musician and he's back working in your school with you. Is that right? Well, he did a bunch of different things, but, um, I'm thrilled he's doing it because um, I, I think he has a, um, an incredible talent for it. And I feel very lucky. I feel, I feel very privileged that there will, there will be transmission because um, you know, I'm not yeah. uh, just spring chicken, shall we say? <laughs> um, so, and I like the idea too. One of my, when I told this to one of my friends in New York, he said that there was actually a, a study going on about the fact that boys, young men were taking over, not their, father's businesses but their mother's businesses so um oh, I thought interesting. That interesting, interesting let's idea. talk for a moment about some of these stereotypes about boys and men and music uh early childhood do you see a difference between boys and girls and their involvement in or interest in music uh, I, I love this question because um, it, it'll allow me to talk about this hilarious thing about musical instrument choice. Um, since uh, there is no difference in musical talent um, at, at an early age, um, what is interesting is when children want to choose an instrument, um, if they're allowed to choose on their own, um, you'll get a huge variety of, of choices. You'll have a boy who wants to play the harp, um, you'll have a girl who wants to play the drums, but mysteriously, um, down the road a few years, who knows how it happens, but, um, we've got girl and boy instruments, look in the orchestras, all the brass and, and percussion players are men, uh, and the harpists are women, the flutists are women, you have a few, you know, um, dual, dual, duo gender uh, instruments like the violin, but they're more male cellists, um, and this is really funny because, um, uh, the, in, 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 in Greek times, the harp players were men because they were trying to be like the god Apollo. Uh, mm. And the women were stuck with playing this um, ancestor of the oboe, but it was a really big instrument uh, that it requires you to really have this mouth pressure. Uh, and, and, and all of these, these sort of uh, gender identifications began to be modified in, in the 19th century when the idea was that women shouldn't play um, a wind instrument with the exception of the flute because this means their facial gestures would be distorted. It wouldn't be good for their prettiness.
and listeners, I'm sure you didn't see me roll my eyes, but just picture that if you're rolling your eyes, I'm like, Oh, of course, that's why I didn't know that's where it came from, but of course it is. Uh, and the big instruments. Uh, and actually there was a, um, a man at the Boston Symphony Orchestra that, that wanted to look at this. And he really encouraged families to let their children choose their instruments and stop trying to influence them. But the irony of this is that um, I, I was actually asking my son to, to you know, scratch his head about this because I wanted to know if he felt that there was any teasing going on for uh, boys when he was young that played, uh, that played music. Uh, he said he had an interesting reply. Interesting reply. He said that he thought that it was more of a class issue. When a boy played classical music, it means that he came from a rich family. That's what mm. his sense of things were. And so, if there was a teasing going on, it was more of a social um, thing. I remember distinctly girls being teased for wanting to play. I had a friend who played the trombone, and I did too. And that was that was uh, very opposite of expectations. Yes, but what's funny is that um, there is still relatively little represent, female repre representation in, in classical, classical orchestras, and it's still male-dominated. So somehow you've got these boys who have to risk being teased when they're really young, but at the end of the day, um, it's still a male-dominated world. Yeah. Also, I think that one of the things that one of the, the, the problems, too, is that my feeling is music is music, and I have met musicians of all over the world in many different styles of music, and there are there are common denominators. They, they are people who are more intuitive. Um, they uh, they're they're more observant. Um, when you start making music with somebody, I don't really feel a big difference between a great partnership with classical music or with North North the Indian classical music, which I love. Um, so the, I, I, there is something that is on a very intuitive level uh, and it's a communicative skill that you feel with musicians from all over the world, whatever kind of music it is. And again, I feel like um, uh, there's, there's an, an, a kind of an incipient ban on the idea of encouraging your children to be in a rock band. It will do them every much as, it won't do them, it, it won't have this grueling um, absolute training that classical musicians have to go through or chess players or athletes, but they will reap a lot of benefits. And I, and I just feel like because we have this classical music gold standard idea, um, parents would probably discourage, a certain kind of parent would discourage their child from wanting to have their own little rock band. Um, well, and a certain kind of parent is going to discourage it just because Oh my gosh, seriously, I have to listen to that noise because, you know, let's face it, a young teenage rock band is not necessarily going to be the most pleasant thing to be listening to while you're trying to do whatever. But when we make room for our children to experiment, to make messes, that's what they need to do in order to figure out how to grow, how to make beauty. You have to have the space and the permission to make a mess before you can create a thing of beauty. Of course, absolutely, absolutely. Can you give us maybe one or two things that we could do with our kids the minute our listeners stop listening to this podcast and maybe a, a certain, you know, younger child, older child, but uh, we always like to put in some practical ideas for our listeners. What is What are a couple things that they could maybe haven't thought of doing or haven't done for a while or something new that they could try. Okay. Well, I think one of the most basic things that, that can get people a little um, loosened up is think about a piece of music that you love uh, as a parent, and it can be absolutely anything. And if you really absolutely love that piece of music, put it on, put it on loud and just invite your child to do something with you. And it could be banging on a pot with a spoon. It can be dancing with you. Uh, it can be inventing their own lyrics to something, making comments about it. As soon as you enter to, into, um, in, into this doing, making, doing it together, you're in a duet. You are already communicating on a, on a very physical level. And I think that that just kind of it invites, and, I, and I've seen children get so excited when they're just dancing with their parents. Um, and, and you can take this, the fact that you're moving in, you know, synchronization is one of the key elements of how we work together uh, as human beings and even actually in our, in our bodies. And as soon as a child is synchronizing with somebody else, whether it's vocally, uh, physically by tapping their hands or, or dancing, um, there's this 
there's this very physical feeling, this visceral thing of being with somebody else. And, you know, you both know, of course, attachment in early childhood is so absolutely key. And this brings the parent and the child together in a kind of something deeper than words. And it can evolve into something else. Maybe the next day you decide you're going to listen to it again. And this time you're going to, you know, play, play with it on the drums or, or whatever. This is an easy one to adapt when you have older kids, because when your kids are little, it can, it's very much, you can introduce the music that you love. When your kids get to be tweens and teens, let them bring you music that they love. And yeah, you might not think you love rap. I don't care. Whatever it is, you might not think you like country music. Invite them to share their music with you and follow their lead. Absolutely. Follow their lead, tap along with it. Like you said, talk about it, listen to the lyrics, engage in the duet with them as the leader. Absolutely. Wonderfully. And if you can, uh, if you can imagine, especially with rap, start doing a rap game. You know, what's really amazing about technology right now is you can find a looping, you can find a rap loop uh, on, on internet in two seconds. Mm-hmm. You put that on loud and you say, Hey, let's make some, let's make some music. It's like, you know, I want to eat. I want to eat some breakfast, you know, just anything silly or whatever, but invite them to do it. Uh, and that's incredibly creative for them, for you, brings you into this, this dialogue, this duet. And it's more fun, like, if it's more fun than just yelling at them. Absolutely. I mean, I really think that the, 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 the you know, in a classroom, uh, I think, J- Janet, you were, you were a teacher for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know that uh, as soon as the level of noise in the classroom starts going up, you're losing the battle. One of the things that works best with with children, whether they're your own children or in a classroom, is when you just kind of step back and go, when the yelling never works because everybody tunes out. So another fun thing you can do, another thing that works really well with children is to surprise them. So what if you just decide in the morning, those things that you're constantly pushing them to do, it's time to get ready, please get your clothes on. You know, if you can just find something, put on that wrap, wrap looping on your computer and say, yeah, it's time. It's time to get dressed. Ooh, gotta get, gotta, gotta, gotta get dressed. We gotta get dressed. You know, and they're going to look at you like you're completely nuts, mm-hmm. but you'll probably engage. Something will start happening. Yes. And I was a Waldorf teacher and we definitely use music every day as part of our, our curriculum. And um, it's not just separated into go to music class, come back. It's, it's throughout the day and it's, it's really powerful and it feels good. It just mm. feels good. Your book is a great introduction for parents of young children. I'm going to give it to my daughter who's having a baby in the spring. So, you know, just to have that, to know that. And I think it gives permission. You've really given parents permission to, so. you know, sing your baby's song and, and each child or your baby's name has its own song. And that's just going to live and amplify with them and, and change and evolve. I hope that our listeners will find that musical place within them so that they can just relax and enjoy and bring some just silliness and fun and you know, we've had a lot of months that we had to be pretty serious about stuff and it's, we can mm. lighten up and uh, it can be a benefit to us as the adults and to our children too. So. Absolutely. It's, it's never a one-way street raising children. Right. It, you're either both in misery or you're both enjoying it. So, yeah. so let's go for the joy. We want the joy. Exactly. Stack the deck for, for, uh, for happiness and, and, uh, and, you know, all the developmental things that we know music brings. Mm-hmm. And where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? I have a Twitter account now. It's about five days old. And I think I have three followers among them. You, Jennifer, you're number four. God. <laughs> so um, the, uh, the book has um, QR codes that you can, you just scan with your phone and it goes straight to my website where you get the, the music that'll help people do things. So there's, there's a bit about me uh, there, the school's website, which is ecolekunig.com. Uh, there's a lot of information about sort of philosophy and uh, that kind of thing. Of course, all of those links will be in the show notes because that's what our gen does, put them all in there. And uh, I just so appreciate you bringing this 
reminder, bringing this back to us in the world of the just how important music is and that you are teaching these beautiful young children in Paris. Lucky them. <laughs> One of my goals of the book, to tell you the truth, is that I, I really believe in this so much. I would love to, um, this needs to get outside of Paris and this school. I'm actively looking into an investment that will allow for teacher training. Love it. Parent training. Yes. Uh, especially in the U.S. right now, where you're facing a child care crisis, crisis. crisis. I, public Capital. school education mm-hmm. crisis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, uh, the other thing that I feel extremely adamant about is that as with orchestras that are primarily made of men, they're also primarily made of white men. Mm-hmm. And it's for the same reason, because classical music uh, is a white man's domain. And so the representation for any children who are not from that demographic is almost non-existent. Yeah. And these children need music. Everybody needs music. Everybody and- needs music. I think you're changing the world, Joan. Thank you so uh, much. I hope and- so. We certainly need it, don't we? Oh, we do. we do. We do. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, please play okay. us out. Okay. <laughs> we are all smiling. So thank you for that, Joan. Oh, good. It was lovely to meet you. Yes. Take care. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you'll get out that favorite song, share it with your kids, ask your kids what their favorite song is. We are Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison, and we are on Boys Parenting Podcast. If you love this show, please share it with a friend. And Janet here, don't forget, if you are struggling in any way, if you have questions, if you're feeling alone as a parent, get on the phone with me. We'll schedule a call, a breakthrough session. Go to boysalive.com slash call. We'll talk. It's free. Let's get you from where you are now to where you want to be. You deserve it. Your son deserves it. And the world needs you to be the best parent you can be. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.